What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Promenade Merchants Podcast. We are an independent Star Trek podcast celebrating our 72nd episode. We've been away for a little bit because what was actually our 72nd episode got lost in the recording. About half of it got cut off. Sorry about about that to our regular listeners. To our new listeners, welcome. This is officially our 72nd episode. My name is David Majors, and I'm joined by my fantastic co-host, Heather Kirby. Hello again, Heather. Hello, David. Yeah, you know, (laughs) first world problems, what can I say? Technology doesn't always work for people, but it's okay. You know, podcasting is never perfect. It is always a an improving process, and this time around, I think we got it right. So let's jump in. Now, normally, we do this in a three-act format where we do old business, where we cover and talk a little bit about legacy Star Trek, where we have some kind of topic or subject. Then we get into new business, where we talk about what's currently happening with Star Trek. And then we'll go into upcoming business, which where we look ahead and talk news and notes in Star Trek. But this episode, we're going to talk about all of season two that we've cut co- that we haven't covered yet of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. So we're putting old business aside this episode, and we're just going to jump right in to talk about episodes two, three, four, and five of season two of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. So everybody sit in, settle down. We're going long on this one. So let's jump in. Heather, episode two. Ad Astra Perispera, The Trial of Una Chin Riley, where we see Una on trial for lying to get into Starfleet about her Illyrian heritage and her genetic modification. Captain Pike goes to another planet that is not safe for human breathing to find the best civil rights attorney that he can, uh, Nera who is also Illyrian and is an old friend of Una's. They're not on the best of terms. But Una, but Nira agrees to do the job. Heather, tell me once again, and this time it is definitely recording, and it shouldn't get caught off. Tell me and tell our listeners what you thought about this episode. Uh, in my opinion, this is the greatest Star Trek episode of the modern era. It, like, that's just my personal opinion. Um, I went into it having zero expectation as to what was going to happen in this episode with Una. Um, I talked about it in our our previous episode when we talked about disability representation about how important Una's story was to me and I I didn't I didn't want to get my hopes up but this surpassed anything I could have imagined when it came to telling her story when it came to really having her stand up for the agency in herself and just wanting to live her authentic life and also really diving into detail how it felt to be Illyrian amongst other humans, how it felt to be genetically altered, how she was bullied. Um, all of that was 
so incredible and wonderful to watch, and I thank Star Trek so much for putting it on my screen. I loved this episode. I loved this episode, too. I really thought it was a five-star episode. It was peak Star Trek, in my opinion. I loved the performance by Yatiti Badaki, who played Nira, the attorney, uh, the defense attorney in the episode. I thought she was absolutely phenomenal, and there was a lot of calling for her to come back someday and maybe be a recurring character. Uh, what I especially loved about this episode, and that was specifically with Nira as the focus, is that she was challenging the Federation on a lot of things. She really grilled Robert April when he was in the witness stand. And that was really something to watch. And she was challenging the Federation on a lot of their ideals. And I think that is something that Star Trek writers have done, uh, at least since Deep Space Nine, and I've been willing to do that I think is really, really good, and that they are willing to self-examine. Star Trek is willing to self-examine, and the writers of Star Trek and the people are behind Star Trek are willing to look inward and see exactly what the Federation is all about and realize it's not perfect. It is still a work in progress. Things are pretty good. But there's always room for improvement, and this episode showed that, and that's okay. It is okay to not have a perfect society. There's always room for improvement, and we all learned that through this episode. Now, I know a lot of people brought up the fact that we see later in an episode of DS9 involving Dr. Bashir and his family with his genetic alterations, that things haven't really changed that much. I know that was a big discussion topic, but I think that really missed the point. Because it's not about continuity or timelines or anything else in that regard. I think that this episode of Star Trek is exactly what is needed right now. And I think what happened on DS9 is exactly what Star Trek needed at that time. And I think that those things do not necessarily need to intertwine with one another because there is a message that needs to be told. And I think the most important part is the message. Well, I mean, I'd like to say I, I don't think that... Uh, they are kind of intertwined in a way, but at the same time, like the story that they told with Una needed, it needed to be told. And in, in my mind, it kind of righted a wrong from DS nine because I hate the storyline of Bashir and DS nine being augmented. I hate it. I hate it with a passion. I felt like they did everything wrong. They tried to present augments in a good way, but they still did it in a bad way. And it was so wrong and hurtful to me. 
And so to see this storyline with Una being presented actually in a good way and in a helpful way and in a way that makes me feel good about myself and how I relate to her, uh, no matter where it falls in the timeline or whatever, and even you, you can talk about DS9 or whatever, like Una's trial and her story righted a wrong for me. And that's, Absolutely. That, that's more important. I completely agree. I agree 100%. Uh, it's about the message that is needed right now. And the message that got across is that if you are, if you have some kind of genetic disposition, that does not make you, that does not make you a worse person. It is simply who you are. And I liked that Nira was able to sort of turn the rules of the Federation around and come to the defense of Una requesting asylum. I really liked that because it was something that definitely tied back to legacy Star Trek because a lot of times in legacy Star Trek, there were aliens asking for asylum from the Federation and they allowed it. So when I heard that to me, it was like, that makes perfect sense. The way they explained it, it was brilliant. It was brilliantly written and brilliantly done. Absolutely. So, yeah, at Astra Per Aspera, five stars. Great five episode. stars. Yes. Fantastic episode. Fantastic episode. So, season two of Strange New Worlds is off to a really strong start, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it, it really is. is. And the strong start continued in episode three, in my opinion. Episode three, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, where Laan Nunyan Singh uh, encounters a gentleman on the Enterprise who gives her a time travel device before dying and disappearing. And with this device, she is sent to an alternate timeline in on Earth that is plagued by war, and the Enterprise is captained by one James Tiberius Kirk. So, La'an and Captain Kirk have to get back to fixing the timeline, and they make their way to modern-day Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I had fun with this episode, especially the latter half of it. Um, I've said on the podcast before that I do not like most time travel episodes of Star Trek. And why I say the second half I liked is because the first half of this episode showed a lot of the cringier things that happen in time travel episodes of Star Trek that always make me a little cringy. Just, oh, they're from the future and they don't know how things work now. It's, it's so weird and wacky. It's like, that's, that's weird. I don't like it. But when they got to the second half, and I think for me, when things changed, when they met who would turn out to be Sarah Aromulan, when they met her and moved to finding 
the bridge and, and finding what might happen, that's when the episode took a turn for the positive. And, and I think it ended really strong. Yeah. Uh, I, I wasn't entirely sold on this episode at first, very much like you. Um, but the second half of the episode uh, was wonderful. I think the the chemistry between Laan and Kirk really grew on me. Uh, Christina and Paul did a wonderful job really building chemistry between the two characters. And it shows, like, the more you get to see them working together. And um, I love the inclusion of Palea in the episode because it makes so much sense her being a character that basically lives forever, that she would be on Earth in that time period. Um, so I thought that was a really fun inclusion. And then the ending. The ending was wh where it really nailed me. Because like I talked about before, many times on this episode, I, I, I really love the... Well, I, I, I have a relatable connection to the augment stories in star trek i've talked about that multiple times but that includes khan even though he's the evil side of it and i was not expecting that to be where this episode was going when it turned out that sarah the romulan was well okay basically when laan first opened that door in the laboratory i knew that was the reason she was chosen to be there. Okay. But then when it turned out that Sarah was standing, when you saw Khan written on that, that door and you knew right then and there what her mission was, um, one of the biggest things I love about this episode is that Laan did not hesitate whatsoever. She didn't hesitate to save her ancestor, which so many other times in Star Trek, when characters are put in that position to possibly change their history, change something they don't like about themselves, they it did like it, it it's an internal turmoil for them, and they anguish over making that decision. I respect Laan so much as a character in this instance because she did not hesitate. She stopped them from murdering Khan. And that says so much about her, her strength as a character and that even though she struggles with her family history and with carrying her, her certain genetics that ultimately she knew what the right thing to do was and that she would not be the person she is today without all of that struggle. I especially liked the line that Laan said to Khan, to young Khan, where she said, you're right where you need to be or something to that effect. And that made a lot of sense because Khan, in a certain respect, was exactly where he needed to be for history in this timeline to run its course. And it did in the end. It ran its course. And Laan was able to get back to her timeline 
uh, despite that timeline's Kirk losing his life. And at the end of the episode, La'an reaches out to James Kirk, who's still a lieutenant. No, he's 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 a captain in this timeline. He's still a captain. Uh, but it's a completely different timeline, so Kirk has no recollection of it. Yeah. But at the end of the scene, La'an, you can see her relief that James Kirk is alive. And I think this really cemented just a fantastic performance throughout the entire episode by Christina Chong. I thought she was absolutely fantastic. Definitely. So would you say season two is three for three? Uh, I, I don't know if I'd give five stars to that first episode. Maybe four. So four out of five stars and then two five-star episodes yes all right but (laughs) then we come across episode four the hotly discussed episode four the among the lotus eaters captain pike and captain Baytel have a little relationship issue she walks off and the enterprise is on the way to rigel seven what did you think of this episode, Heather? I'd love to hear what you thought. Um, this episode existed. <laughs> mm. Okay. I, okay, look. I don't have that much to say about this episode. Um, good or bad. Uh, the one thing I will say is that there was so much more they could have actually done with this. I mean, Rigel 7 is a story that has been in Star Trek since the cage, okay? There was so much more they could do with this episode, and it fell very, very flat to the point that I was kind of bored with it. Okay. Okay. I can definitely get that through, like, the second act. I thought the first and third acts of the episode were pretty good. But in between, in the middle, like, the middle 15, 20 minutes of the episode, it was kind of like, man, this is kind of going nowhere. But I liked the setup, and I liked the finish. I liked how they set up the episode. It felt very TOS in how this episode started and ended where they landed on a planet and there were some very strange happenings going on and they run into an officer that was serving on the enterprise and was left there uh, in, in his words, left for dead. And this was very planet of the week. And I say that in a good way, it was very, campy sci-fi and i can respect that i can have fun with that kind of episode i felt like when they got to the planet and they started losing their memories that is where it kind of started to drag except in the case of back on the enterprise where it was happening with ortegas and spock I really enjoyed Ortegas and Spock uh, in this in this episode when they were working through struggling through losing their memories. And 
I think everyone already knows by now, we just got a little bit of a hint of more of Erica Ortegas. We got a tiny, tiny taste of a little bit of development for Ortegas. And I think, I hope that's a sign of greater things to come. I think this episode's third act ended really well with Ortegas flying the ship, Spock in command, Captain Pike and Dr. Mbenga fighting through to get to the castle. I thought all of that ended really well. And I thought the beginning was actually pretty good. The setup and the finish were, in my opinion, pretty fun, pretty entertaining. That middle, not so much. Not the best. Well, it, and I just want to make one other comment about this because I, I, I've seen a lot of comments online about this and I, I agree with them wholeheartedly. But is there some reason why we can't get a first name for Captain Patel? That is and a really good question. If the reason is, oh, well, you know, we're paying homage to the fact like that we didn't get fucking first names for... Uh, Una and and Uhura throughout TOS, or Mbenga. Yeah, isn't that that's not a good reason? <laughs> okay, to once again give a fairly important, in my opinion, woman character who is like the significant other to our captain, and not show her first name because I'm pretty sure she calls him Chris. So why the fuck doesn't he mention his first? her first name i just have a question for you are people really saying that as it's a tribute to tos is that what people are really saying yes <laughs> yes okay well no people are saying that as the criticism that is this the reason why you're not giving us her first name because you think it's a tribute to tos so basically a criticism of the writers that this is why they're not doing this to her because I don't think it's anything that stupid. I, I really don't think the writers of this show could be that stupid. I think that in the case of Captain Baytel, shout out to the fans of Winona Earp out there because when I was watching this episode, I realized who that was, who the actress was, and it was oh, it's Winona Earp. I enjoyed that show. And I've not I noticed that she's just Captain Baytel too. And I'm going to assume that we're going to find out her first name later this season. I'm going I, I'm putting a lot of hope <laughs> into this season of Strange New Worlds. I'm I'm giving Strange New Worlds the benefit of the doubt in a lot of cases. I believe that they have enough sense to resolve this oversight. I believe that. I choose to believe it. I, I, I just, okay. So, and last thing as to why I really didn't like this episode, I do not think that Strange New Worlds is at its best when it leans into TOS style of storytelling. Because, like, there, there is like paying homage to that, and then there is like completely leaning into that. And this I, episode really leans into it. Yeah, this one really leans into that, and 
y'all got to remember, like, that was the 1960s, <laughs> okay? This is 2023. I don't necessarily want to watch a TV show that completely, utterly leans into that. Just my view. All right, I'll leave it alone now. I don't disagree. I think that's absolutely valid. Like I said, there is some fun to be had in a tribute to campy 60s sci-fi. But, like I said when we were talking about Ad Astra Per Aspera, Star Trek has always been made for its time. The original series was made for its time. The 90s era of Star Trek was made for its time. This era of Star Trek is made to be progressive for its time. And you're hoping the people behind Strange New Worlds don't totally forget that. Yes, a little campy sci-fi, throwback sci-fi is fun. It's absolutely fun. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying it is 2023. And you need to be a show that is about what we need to hear right now. Because that's what Star Trek has always been. Yep. All right. So from one hotly debated episode to another. Episode five, Charades. Heather, I know on this podcast you're normally the one that has the rants that supposedly get people upset at us. But when I tweeted out that I have some opinions on this episode, I used a gif of CM Punk. So I'm going to let you give your take on charades, and then I'm going to jump in because I think I'm going to be setting some things on fire this episode. So Spock and Chapel go through a transporter, uh, a shuttle accident, thanks to an interdimensional race who heals them, question mark. Nurse Chapel is okay. Spock is not quite himself, to the point where he is made fully human, and his Vulcan physiology is completely gone. This just so happens to coincide with the same time Spock is due to have dinner with T'Pring and T'Pring's parents. Meeting the girlfriend's parents. Whew! Let me tell you. <laughs> Let me tell you. So, on top of all of that, T'Pring's mother is not the biggest fan of humans and not the biggest fan of Spock. And now he has all of this to deal with along with not being Vulcan and being human. I will say, just to start with, I enjoyed this episode, and I have some things to say. How about you, Heather? Yeah, um, I have a feeling some of the things that you want to say about it. Um, I enjoyed this episode at face value. However, like I mentioned earlier, when we're talking about certain characters in the Star Trek universe always struggling with their inner selves and they 
the things they can't control and 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 really being under turmoil for that um this episode was a prime example of that um i i don't know how to feel about spock suddenly be fully human and having so many issues i i i mean it 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 feels like he literally doesn't know how the fuck to act <laughs> okay like he's been half human his entire life he's felt some of these things before he had to but a lot of the, the vulcan we're we're shown throughout star trek that a lot of the vulcan disciplines come from like being very mindful and like training their mind in order to tamp down their emotions and really training themselves to be logical it, it, it it's not part of their genetics so the idea that if you remove all of his Vulcan genes, he becomes completely unhinged and stuffs his face with bacon, which, I, I mean, anyone can relate to that. Come on now. But still, th there's a lot of issues with the fact that he can't hold back his emotions like he did before. And um, I appreciate the role that Amanda played in this episode. Um and uh, I will say that Spock was kind of a dick to T'Pring at the end of this episode because she, like, after he didn't tell her the truth about what was going on for fear that she would read his mind and then and see it there or whatever, it, she, like, she literally looks at him and she's like, I, I. I love you for who you are. I don't love you just just the Vulcan side of you. I love the human side of you too. And I felt really bad for her at the end of this. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure how to feel about how they're doing. They're playing into a whole love triangle between Spock, Chapel, and T'Pring because... I feel like it's both the women that are going to get screwed in that instance, and I'm I'm not on board with that. Okay. I think that I interpreted this episode, and I interpreted Spock a lot differently than other people. Because what I saw from Spock in this episode, I saw a lot of myself. I was officially diagnosed with bipolar disorder one back in 2022, very early 2022 from two different doctors telling me that I exhibited nearly every symptom for bipolar disorder. So what I saw from Spock in this episode, it really reminded me of what I saw from Spock in season two of Star Trek discovery, because in season two of Discovery, Spock was struggling mentally because of everything that was happening around him with the Red Angel and everything. 
and him losing his sense of logic. And that caused something in him to have a mental break. And he admitted himself to a psychiatric ward, which I've done. I've done that before. I've admitted myself. And fast forwarding back to today, I see Spock and I remember that Vulcans have emotions, but their emotions are extremely intense, more intense than humans. And they have to suppress them or it could become dangerous. And knowing what I know now about bipolar disorder, I got what Spock was going through with not being able to control his emotions, with not having the not having the cognitive skills to be able to control himself anymore. In a way, he was he didn't have the Vulcan side of him to help in a physiological sort of way control himself. He didn't have it anymore. So he was dealing with a lot of unsuppressed emotions that he didn't know how to control. And he essentially was going through what I would call, it it was pretty close to a hypomania. And given that what we've seen and what we know about Spock's life, whether it was struggling with his Vulcan identity, dealing with other Vulcans on the planet, dealing with his father, struggling with his own emotions. When he lets them out, it's hard for him to get them back under control. That's called emotional dysregulation. And Spock has had his fair share of severe psychological stress over the course of his life. And in charades, in this episode, he's fully human. And he does things that he wouldn't normally do because he can't control himself. He doesn't know how. He's not able. He has the impulsivity. He's having these extreme emotional reactions like he did with Sam Kirk, like he was staring at La'an. He wouldn't normally do that. Uh, He was doing things that would be borderline self-destructive and totally not in his character. All of these things are synonymous with a mental break. There were a lot of people talking about how Spock wouldn't eat bacon because Vulcans are vegetarian. And that's absolutely correct. But Spock wasn't Vulcan at that point. And this was probably the first time he had ever smelled or or tasted bacon without any kind of emotional suppression. and. Yeah, he he was not able to control himself. He was struggling through controlling his impulses and his emotions. He was going through a mental break because of what happened. And that was a very real moment for me. I interpreted this as Spock going through a pretty intense me- mental episode and struggling with his emotional control, even as a human. And even as a Vulcan, he had these issues. He's had these issues in Strange New Worlds, where when he's let his rage out, it was hard for him to bring himself back down. Emotional control. I feel like there's this idea that Spock is only one thing. 
I think Spock, especially now, is an extremely complex character that can be interpreted a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. And I believe all of the different interpretations are valid. I get the impression from some people that they believe that their interpretation of Spock is one way, the only way, and the correct way. And that's how Spock is. Not necessarily, in my opinion. I saw Spock going through a mental episode through some unfortunate circumstances, and it took a lot of time for him to get himself back together, which happens. It cost him his relationship with T'Pring. That happens. Having a mental break is not an excuse by any means. What happened with him and T'Pring is very much on him. He ha- he has the issue of dealing with the thought that T'Pring may not love him for who he is. That is something that he's still struggling with internally, despite her telling him otherwise. It was the issue of T'Pring's mother being how she was. Clearly not a fan of him or humans at all. Very domineering, very controlling, that put a lot on him. I'm not excusing any of it. I'm just saying I understand where it comes from. I understand the rationale. What Spock was going through was a very, very intensely emotional time. And sometimes you don't always come out on top. Okay. So let me just put that out there. Do you think that this episode would have fared differently or at least like left a different impression in some people's minds if it would have happened exactly the way it happened except for he he still had his Vulcan side. Because I I I I appreciate what you're saying and I understand it now a little bit better and I'm looking at it in a different view. But I think the fact that they chose to remove his Vulcan genome and then show him deal with that mental break the way they did um, rubbed some people the wrong way and I understand why they felt the way they felt with that too so like part of me wishes that they could have found a way to tell the story without removing his Vulcan half and it would have come across like better and more powerful that way maybe maybe but I think people then would make the argument that if it didn't remove his Vulcan physiology, he should have no problem suppressing his emotions. It shouldn't be a problem at all. But like, but because they removed his Vulcan physiology, it made it seem like his Vulcan physiology is the only reason why he can't do those things. You, you I, th- know, I thought about that. 
it, I thought it, about it that. attributed way too much to his genetics than it should have. Cause like, I, I, I know some friends of ours were really critical about this episode because of that, because of the way Star Trek portrays by species characters as having to choose between one or the other side. And that comes off as very offensive to some people. And I, I, I hear them and I understand that. So what it, I, I, I appreciate your take on it because like I said, I've looked at it in a little bit different way, but I'm wondering if there was a way they could have told this story without having to put all the onus and burden on Spock's Vulcan side. I get what you're saying. I get where you're coming from. And maybe this is just me considering Vulcan physiology, at least in the Star Trek universe, being very different from human physiology. And that maybe there's something in a Vulcan brain that allows emotional suppression and emotional control that just wasn't there when he got turned human. Possibly. Maybe that's... The explanation they would make, we can ask Dr. Mbenga, I don't know. But I definitely see where you're coming from in that regard, where if Spock was still half Vulcan and was still having these issues, I think it would have been a better story told, I think. But I also think exploring Spock's human side is something that Star Trek, in my opinion, has never done enough of. And I will give them credit for taking that risk. It might not have hit, but they took a shot at it, at exploring Spock's human side, and I can't say I'm mad at them for it. Alrighty. Okay, alright. I think we covered... Just about every episode so far. (laughs) So I will ask you, Heather, um, I know season one, you weren't totally sold on Strange New Worlds. How are you feeling about Strange New Worlds season two so far? Um, I'm feeling better. I'm I'm not sold yet. (laughs) I'm not sold yet, but I'm feeling better. Okay. Okay. I like that Strange New World Season 2 is opening up a lot of discussions. I love that because the best Star Trek series will always open up discussions like this. Star Trek at its best opens a dialogue. And we've been doing that a lot with this episode. We've been seeing that a lot online. And I think that's a good thing. And I'll say so far, I would say to be very Vulcan about it, I will say that it is satisfactory. Satisfactory. So, so far, five episodes into Strange New Worlds, I'm okay with it. I'm okay. All right. All right. So let's jump into upcoming business. And, brother, there is a lot going on. Where do we start? Um, Star Trek Prodigy, 
the SAG after WGA strike. Heather, I will let you take the lead on this one. Okay. Well, I I think to start, we have to start with Star Trek Prodigy because that's going to lead into talking about the strike here. So as we know, a few weeks ago, Star Trek Prodigy was canceled by Paramount+. Plus. It was then removed in its entirety from the streaming service three days later. Um, They have finally after seeing the demand from fans and purchasing physical copies of the first half of the season have finally announced the release date for the second half of season one, which is a good thing. Um, We know from the creators online that season two is almost completely finished in its entirety and they are still working on finishing and producing the season in hopes of shopping it to other networks. Why I say this leads into talking about the strike is because the Writers Guild of America has been on strike for about 11 weeks now. And as of this past Thursday, the Screen Actors Guild announced that they were going on strike as well, joining their brothers at the Writers Guild, brothers and sisters at the Writers Guild. And so this is basically two-thirds of the people working in Hollywood are on strike right now. And a lot of this has to do with streaming service tactics like what Paramount Plus did with Prodigy, but also the fact that writers and actors are not earning residuals from their shows that are being watched on streaming services. Streaming is like paramount nowadays. There are so many different streaming services. There's so many people like you and myself who have cut the cord. We don't have cable. We watch everything off of streaming services. And so when it's like that and these services are refusing to pay residuals, These actors aren't getting paid. These people who put their heart and soul into producing this work for us isn't getting paid. And that's not right. (laughs) And something has to change. Something has to change when it comes to this. And so I fully support both the Writers Guild and the Screen Actors Guild for going on strike. I know a lot of our Trek actors are very active and participating in the union. Uh, Michelle Hurd is a part of the Screen Actors Guild negotiating committee. Uh, Anthony Rapp is actually a national board member in the Screen Actors Guild as well. I believe Armin Shimmerman was a former president. Yes, he, he definitely has some standing in it as well. And so if, like, this is going to impact a lot of things and the way Hollywood is, is going moving forward because there has been presidents of these studios, Bob Iger, I'm looking at you. who David Zaslav. I, I got issues with David Zaslav, let me tell you. Well, Bob Iger is the one that basically said that he has no intention of like agreeing to a deal until all of the actors lose their homes and agree to come back to work. And so um, 
I don't know if you saw like the viral video of Ron Perlman basically going around and saying, like, "Oh yeah, we know who said that. We can find your house, motherfucker." <laughs> like, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> you pissed the wrong people off. Like, I, I, I just, I, but like part of me, especially as a fan, as someone who was a huge fan of TV and movies in general, I, I'm so proud to see all these actors that I care about watching on screen like really standing up for themselves and taking a stand and it's not necessarily just for themselves it's for the other people in the union and and just to help all of them in general get a better deal and get paid fairly and they deserve that so much so this also kind of leads into STLV because this is going to change how the actors participate in conventions. Part of their guidelines, their union guidelines, when it comes to being on strike is that they cannot promote any of their struck work, which is basically anything they've done, whether it is current or past appearances on shows, they cannot talk about TV shows whatsoever. However, they can still participate in conventions doing autographs and photo op appearances. But it's going to change what happens, like basically with your interactions to them. Because I honestly think like if you go up to someone at a convention. So what everybody needs to do is everybody needs to subscribe to the Well podcast and tell Anson Mount that you really like his podcast. <laughs> Everyone needs to go out there and listen to Christina Chong's single on, on Spotify and tell her that you really like her single. Everybody go watch X-Men and tell everyone how much you love Rebecca Romaine as Mystique because we all love Rebecca Romaine as, as no, Mystique. Am I right? She can't talk about Mystique, though. Oh, you're right. That's you're right. Movie. That's yeah, you're movie. right. You're right. Now, if you okay. want to talk about rent, like or, or them being on Broadway, like you could talk about Anthony Rapp. You could, Rapp's you could one talk with show. Anthony Rapp. Yeah, that's, for that's, sure. That's not a. That's any any work that is on screen. You cannot talk about. And and everyone should subscribe to the Well Podcast. It is a very good podcast. I I enjoy it a lot. It, you know, I was just thinking about STLV because we're both going to be there. This is going to be an unofficial Star Trek convention with no support from Paramount in the middle of a strike where the actors cannot talk about Star Trek. I, I mean, I think it's fitting that this happens at STLV since they cannot technically put Star Trek on anything at the convention, even though it is a Star Trek convention. So we're, we're going to find ways to talk Trek without talking Trek, I think. But it's going to be a very unique experience. That's for sure. This will definitely be a, a, an interesting STLV. I will say that. And I am excited, Heather, because both of us are going to be at STLV, the 57-year mission. Yes, I, I, I am very excited to be in Vegas. This is going to be the farthest west I have ever been in the United States. 
Uh, but I, I'm, I'm very excited and I'm excited to have a fun time with all of my Trekkie friends. All of you out there. You right now. You. Yes, you. You and me. Yeah. We're going to have a great time no matter what because I think it's the one thing about Trekkies, like, it, it, it's really about community and we're not just going there to meet people and ask them questions about Star Trek. We're just going to hang out with our people and have a good time. So Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. I I love going to conventions more than just about anything in the world. And if Mission Chicago was any indication, STLV is going to be truly awesome. And I cannot wait. And if you're going to be there and you see me either in like one of my uniforms sweating to death in 110 degree weather or or not, say hi. Say hi. Uh, it'll be so hot you won't be sweating. <laughs> At least that's what I was told. The sweat evaporates before it gets to your body. You that that kind of reminds me when I went to Orlando right after I got out of the Air Force in, in 2007. It was a few months after I got out of the Air Force. It was in August. I, yep. was, in, I was in Orlando in August. <laughs> and I nearly died. Yeah. So I'm I'm hoping, as they say, it's a dry heat. I'm yeah. hoping. Yes. But regardless, we're going to be at STLV. It's going to be a good time. And I think that takes care of everything we had to talk about this episode. I think so. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to this extra long episode of the Promenade Merchants podcast. The recording is 100% good. I'm checking it. It did not cut off. Heather did not drop off. Everything's good to go. So thank you all for listening. You can follow me on social media at CallMeDJM. Or if you're on Blue Sky, you can follow me at Delta Juliet Mike. The whole thing. You say the whole thing. Uh, you can follow the podcast on Twitter for now at Prom Trek Pod. You can get all of our episodes in your podcatcher of choice. Uh, Apple Music. Google Play Music, uh, Stitcher, if it's still around, I think they're just about dead. Yeah. Promenade Merchants Podcast, look for it by name. Heather, you can follow her at NerdyGal33. She's great. Heather, you were just on a podcast, were you not? You just did a yes, guest spot. and it should be, it's been so long now, it should be releasing in about a week. Um, I joined the ladies at Crusher Convo for a discussion about women in Trek, as well as other women podcasters. So it was me, um, the wonderful ladies from Strange New Pod, Giraffe and MC, our dear friends, and uh, Amy Nelson, who is a huge name in podcasting that's been around a long time and it was awesome to get to talk to all of them and you can catch that yeah probably in about a week it, it, it comes out the end of july looking forward to it everybody check out crusher convo thank you all for listening to the promenade merchants podcast and until next time live long and live long and you you live long too <laughs>